We are continuing our sermon series uh, called Blessed, and we've been talking through the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. And again, I've said it most every week, I'll say it again today. If you look at these one at a time, you're going to miss something. You really need to look at them all together. And then I say that, and then I preach them one at a time. I understand that. Uh, But I really hope that you're not just looking at them on the days that I'm talking about them, but that you're going back and... All right. Oh. Oh. I accepted you, and you let me down. I don't know what it is. I'm just going to leave that alone. Oh, it's a joy. So, if you're looking at them one at a time, you're really just kind of seeing it in parts. Uh, but if you, uh, if you take them all together, you really begin to see uh, what God is doing. And again, these are happening at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is addressing the crowd, and he's talking. <laughs> it's just so distracted. I'm trying to keep it together, but it's all right. All right. He's addressing the crowd, and he's really setting up. It's his first Real time to get the crowds together and teach. And boy, I would just encourage you, read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Sermon on the Mount. It's just incredible teachings of Jesus that are all brought together at one particular point in time. And so, so far, we've worked through uh, verse 8. And so today, uh, we we pick it up at verse 9. But we'll start in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And we talked about the fact that the poor in spirit are simply those that realize that there is a gap that's been created by our sin that cannot be overcome by self. And so we are too poor in spirit to bridge that gap. And so therefore, we understand that there's nothing inside of us that will bridge that gap that sin has created. And so we are in need of a Savior. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. We're mourning over our condition, the fact that we are broken, lost, and alone without Christ. Verse 5, blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. The humble, those who realize that there's nothing in themselves, so they humble themselves to seek and to find a Savior in Jesus Christ. And by giving up self, they gain everything in following him. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. When we begin to pursue the things of God, that's when we find satisfaction and help and hope in our hearts. When we pursue things on our own, we may find temporary relief, but we never find something that will ultimately fill us until we pursue the things of God. And it's worth repeating from now until the end of this series because I believe I asked one of the most crucial questions of the whole sermon series centered around this verse, and it's this. Are you pursuing blessings or are you pursuing righteousness? Have we confused the two? Are we only having a pursuit of the things of God because of the blessings that he brings? Or are we truly pursuing righteousness? And when I look at the examples of the followers of Christ in scriptures, I see people who are filled and satisfied regardless of their circumstance. And so again, are we pursuing blessing or are we pursuing righteousness? Verse 7, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. And the reason that we as Christ followers have the capacity and the ability to show mercy is simply because of the overwhelming mercy that God has shown to us. 
And that alone is enough to stop us in our tracks when we have that feeling of saying, well, I don't know that I feel like showing mercy to this person or really this person just needs to get that because that's what they deserve. And then we realize that we got what we didn't deserve when Christ was merciful to us and poured out himself on the cross so that we could bridge that gap that sin has created and we could come to know and to follow Christ. And then verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. And we understand that none of us are pure. We all have a sin problem. And even as a follower of Christ, it doesn't make us spotless and clean and pure on an everyday basis right now. That, that's not going to happen until eternity, until Christ comes and, and, and cleanses all of us permanently. And so for right now, we struggle. But Jesus is talking about blessed and the pure in heart. And it gives us a clue that we need to ask ourselves all the time, what's going on in my heart? Outward appearances can be deceiving. We can even play mental gymnastics with ourselves at times. But we really need to understand what's going on in our heart. Are we willing to pour our heart out before the Lord and say, God, if there's anything in my heart that's keeping me from pursuing you, can we deal with that so that I can pursue you fully? That's where we're going. And we talked about the fact that when we begin to pursue the things of God, then we begin to see the work of God happening around us. And so that is an encouragement for us that we, we need to purify ourselves and seek the purity that comes in a singular focus of a pursuit of God in our life. Not only just trying to rid ourselves of things that may cause us to sin, but pursuing God. And then today we come to this verse, verse 9, where Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. So let's jump in with both feet real quick, and let's first of all get a right idea of what peace is. And, and this is another word that we come to in this passage, and a concept that is in our broken world, it has a meaning that sometimes is difficult to comprehend or to understand. Let me just give you an example. Do, do, you, do you understand that historians estimate, and so historians estimate that in the past 4,000 years, there have been maybe 300 that have been free from a major war going on somewhere. Think about that. In the past 4,000 years, only about 300 of those years might have no war happening somewhere. And so when you think about peace, I would say, well, mankind is no expert. Um, we are not an expert on peace. And so then where do we go to find the answer of what peace is and what peace looks like? Well, we, we're compelled to go to God's word. And so the ultimate peace is peace with God. This is what you need to understand, just the foundation of what I'll be talking about for the rest of the sermon today. The ultimate peace is peace with God. And how does that differ with how sometimes we approach and think about peace? Well, let me deal with it this way. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It is the presence of God. You see how so many things we think about, we think about purity in the sense of things that I have to get rid of. We, we, we think about mercy, being merciful in something that needs to, to go on as a feeling, but no, it's actually something that you do and you pursue. And, and, and when we are looking at purity, it's actually something that you do and pursue. And when you look at peace, it's not the absence of something, it's the presence of something. And so all of the work that we do to try to get rid of things in our life that don't cause conflict, that's not, unfortunately, the pursuit of peace. 
That's probably more a pursuit of convenience or comfort. The pursuit of peace is to pursue the presence of God because we will begin to realize that God is enough. God is enough. How many circumstances are going through your head right now that you're thinking, yeah, but this were different, or this just were different, or if I just had to deal with this, then I would be at peace. Well, really, would it be peace or would it be comfort? Or would you just find the next thing that makes you struggle with peace? Because truly, God is enough. I share this often with people who are grieving, and I learned it from a person who was grieving, a man who had lost his son. And, and here's what he told me. He said, Lindell, answers don't provide comfort. They only lead to more questions. And so as you're struggling with things in life going, well, why is this happening and how is this? When, when you find the answer to one, you're just going to ask the next question. And then he also said, things don't provide comfort because they only lead to more things. So if you just say, well, I think I'm going to have peace if I just knew what was going on here, if I just had this, or if I just, th those are just going to add more complications. It's only the presence of God that provides comfort. God's word's clear on this. He says in James chapter 4, verses, verse 1 through 3, what is the source? It's a great question to ask. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You see how this ties right back to are we pursuing blessings or are we pursuing righteousness? Are we showing mercy? Are, are, we, are we seeing all these things come to life? What's the source of conflict in our life? Ourself. The source of conflict in our life is not out there. It's right here. It's what God's word says. We live unfulfilled and unsatisfied. And then we think we see something that would bring us peace and comfort and happiness. And we pursue it. And when we pursue it and we can't have it, we get frustrated. And then when we get frustrated about it, we try to manipulate the situation. And then it can even lead to more conflict and things until we can just get this thing that we think that we have to have. The source of conflict is our heart. And this is true whether it comes to conflict with another country or conflict with another person. We want it, we can't have it, and so we have conflict. Whether that be a possession, whether that be an attitude, whether that be a behavior, whether that be attention, wealth, health, preferences, I want it, I can't have it, I have conflict, and now I'm mad, and now I'm not at peace. When we don't get things that we want, we're not real pleasant people, are we? Sorry, I lost all y'all on that one. It's okay. I mean, it's just the truth. When we don't get the things we want, none of us are just going, I'm so glad I didn't get what I wanted today. It was a great day. We don't go around saying that. And so God's word's very clear. The source of conflict starts right here. And so many times when we approach peace, we think if I could just get rid of this or if I could have one of these or if we could take care of all these external circumstances, then I would have peace. We're barking up the wrong tree because peace is going to have to come from within. The prophet Isaiah says this in Isaiah 57. He says, the wicked 
are like the storm-tossed sea. It can't be still. Its water churns up mire and muck. There's no peace for the wicked, says my God. Think about that. No peace for the wicked. And us as Christ followers, that's right. The wicked have no peace. And then we ask the question, well, who are the wicked? Those who have no purity, no pursuit of God. Those who are poor in spirit and haven't dealt with it. We're unable to satisfy the debt that sin has created in our life. And so we're at conflict with ourselves. And when we're apart from God, we will have no peace. There may be seasons of comfort, but we will not ultimately have peace. And so the answer is Christ alone. Blessed are the peacemakers. The ultimate peace comes in having a right relationship with God. And a peacemaker on earth, you're going to hear me say this a few times today, is not just the person that knows how to settle arguments. It's the person that knows how to help people reconcile the issue that's been created with their sinfulness with God and in helping people have ultimate peace. Sometimes... To reach ultimate peace, we say things that make people mad. You ever think about that? Sometimes when you speak the truth and people don't want to hear the truth, it is uncomfortable. It upsets them. It frustrates them. Sometimes when when people speak truth into my life and I'm not prepared to receive it, I don't really want to hang out with that person a whole lot. Because I don't like their truth. doesn't matter that they're right. It matters that I don't feel that way. And so we need to understand that the ultimate peacemaker is the person that helps people come to know and to follow Christ. That's the ultimate peace that Scripture talks about. Look at what God's Word tells us about the heart of God and the life of a believer in 1 Timothy chapter 2. He says, first of all then, I urge that petitions and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for everyone for kings and all those who are in authority, so that, why? So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in godliness and dignity. Somebody needs to help some people in our culture on the news right now. So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in godliness and dignity. Not screaming about our rights not holding on, but just saying that we, we need to lead a tranquil and quiet life and godliness and dignity. Verse 3, this is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Do you see peace all in that scripture? I do. God says when you have some things in your life that are upsetting you or concerning you, then what do we do about them? We pray about them. We take them to the Lord. We hand them to him. We, we have petitions and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings about all the situations in our life. We pray for everyone from the kings and all those in authority to everyone else in our life. And we bring those things to the Lord. And then our goal in doing so is not so, oh, God, I pray that they get it and that they finally understand that I'm right. It's not it. We pray for those people, we hand them to the Lord, and we say, God, your will be done so that we can lead a tranquil and quiet life in godliness and in dignity. And in doing so, it pleases God our Savior, and it's his desire that everyone be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. God wants everyone to know him. 
And the other picture that we see in this is the goal for us to lead a tranquil and quiet life. You see, Christians, Christians have been reconciled to God. We have dealt with the poor in spirit aspect. We have mourned over that, and we are now dealing with that by professing Jesus Christ as Savior. And when we are at peace with God, then we can also be at peace with the world, even if the world is not peaceful. Because we know that God's desire is greater than even our desire, and he's helping us. And so we can then deal with others even the same way that God dealt with us, with patience, with mercy, with understanding. And so what draws us away from a life like that? We've said it a hundred times. We'll just say it again. We, we talk about conflict being within. Well, what's the source of that conflict? It's sin. Sin is the source of conflict. Sin is the source of conflict. In this context, we can truly see that sin is this self-serving desire opposed to this God-honoring desire. When we want things our way and our way only, we are then at conflict at times with the way that God wants things. The pure in heart will desire to honor God above all else. But when we have that struggle, when the flesh raises its head and we struggle with sin, what we're truly dealing with is our self getting in the way of pursuing the things of God. And so the impure or the sinful will have self-serving or self-seeking motives. We, we, we look at an example of God's actions in this, in the way that we're supposed to do, and we can really begin to see how we're a far cry from the things that God wants us to be when it comes to being a, a, a others-seeking or a God-honoring person. You look at Romans 5.8. Start there, it says, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You hear me say that verse all the time because it's the foundation of the vision that we have for this church, that everyone be fully known and fully loved by God. And so we know that God proved his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But let's read on. It says, how much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? We begin to see that when we didn't deserve peace, when we didn't deserve saving, when we were an enemy of God. It doesn't just say when someone finally realized and let up for a little while, then God just said, okay, well, now that you've let up for a little bit, I'll do this. God said, while you were my enemy, while you were fighting against me, I was dying for you. That's what God's word says to us. And so we need to understand that if we're going to be a peacemaker, then that's what it means when you hear Christians talk about dying to self and living for Christ. We begin to understand that the way that we have a path to life is it's not going to be that all of our selfish passions and desires, and I don't mean selfish even in that sense as being a negative, I just mean self-centered. The ultimate path to life isn't going to be that all of these things get fulfilled. It's going to be that God's word gets done. And it starts within our heart. And that if there's anything that keeps that from getting done in our heart, that's called sin. And we need to deal with that because that's the source of conflict. But why then should I strive for peace? What's the big deal about peace? 
Well, I said it earlier, I'll say it again. When I have peace with God, then I can have peace with others. Let me just, just go ahead and ask this question, and you don't have to raise a hand, but you can just think about this. Anyone ever had any trouble in any relationships in their life? Anyone breathing today? Anyone breathing? Again, God's word tells us, and I'm not trying to be negative to us, I'm trying to love us and help us. God tells us that the source of the conflict in that relationship is right here. It's our heart. It's our heart first. And then if we want to make things right with others, we can't ultimately do that unless we're right with God. We have to have peace with God before we can have true peace with others. Again, we can have seasons. We can have seasons where things seem to be okay. But what happens in those seasons? We begin to try to protect those seasons. Well, if I could just go back to that time, or if we can just keep it like this, or if they would just stop doing this. This is great when everything's like this. And we strive for these things, but God's idea of peace is so much greater than just our temporary seasons of lack of conflict. The poor in spirit grieve over sin. They humbly accept God's providence in their life, and then they hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then God graciously fills them. And then they are able to be merciful to others and honest and open in their dealings with them. And now they begin to do everything they can to bring them into a right relationship with each other and above all with God himself. You see how the Beatitudes fit together? It's not just one. And then as a, as a follower of Christ, there's so many scriptures that just continue to reinforce this. Colossians 3, starting in verse 15, and let the peace of Christ to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's what peace looks like. Someone who's fully pursuing God with all of their heart and allowing the peace of Christ to rule even when the circumstantial peace that we all long for is not present. That's the peace. So peace is honestly something that I choose to give to someone else. Can I just tell you that? If you only give peace when you feel like giving peace, it's not going to be a very peaceful place, is it? If all of us dealt with one another only in the way that we felt like dealing with one another in the context of peace at times, it's not going to be peaceful. Because so many times we have a conditional peace that's going on in our heart. Well, I'll be nice to them if they're nice to me. Or as long as they behave this way, then I'm good with them, right? But God says, no, 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 let the peace of Christ rule all those other things, and then you can deal with people in a whole new way. Peace is something that we choose to give. You choose to have peace with God 
by saying, I'm poor in spirit. There's nothing within me that can bridge the gap that sin has created. So Christ, I ask you to come forgive me of my sins and be Lord of my life. That is how you have peace with God. And then now you choose to have peace with others because we follow his example that while we were his enemy, he was dying for us. And so we say to even the stubborn and the irrational and the difficult people in our life, is you know what, I'm gonna let the peace of Christ reign and I'm gonna deal with you with mercy and with love because that's the way that Christ has dealt with me. And boy, that sounds good to say. And man, that's hard to do. So let's just be honest about that. But it does begin with a choice. That when you have all of those feelings of frustration rise up, you actually can bring yourself to a place to say, okay, God, I need your peace to rule in my heart right now. And I need you to lead in this time and in this situation. And so we choose to give peace. Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with, what's that next word? Mm. It doesn't say everyone, parentheses, except. There's, there's no, you could fill in that blank real quick, couldn't you? I could fill in that blank. Pursue peace with everyone and holiness because without it, no one will do what? No one will see the Lord. Well, what would that beatitude say? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will what? They will see God. Without peace and without holiness, we're not pure in heart. We can't see the Lord. Romans 14, 19. So then, let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Again, peace is not the absence of something. It's a behavior. It's something that we actually do. We pursue peace. We choose to give it. I love just this practical example in Proverbs 15. A gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. I wish I could learn that one. I can preach that one to you and you should do it. Amen. Y'all caught that. I wish I could do that at times, but it's so true. And when I forget that and it all blows up, God takes that verse and goes, I've told you this. I've told you. I'm like, yeah, I know. And then I go, but they deserve it. And, they go, and then he goes, well, what did you deserve? And I go, yeah, I know. And then the whole cycle starts over. And we come back through everything I've been preaching to you today. So again, I stand before you as a pastor today, not shaking my finger, but in partnership with you going, I understand that pursuing the things of God is difficult at times. But we do it because it's worth it. We do it because it leads to the life that can only come in pursuing those things. We leave aside the things that we think are going to bring us life, and we trust that God's word is going to lead us to true life. And I promise you, when we pursue that, we find the true life. Romans 12, 18, as possible, if possible, as far as it depends on you, and that is a key word there, because we have no control over what the other person is going to do. Amen? If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. And boy, I pray that sometimes. I'll just go ahead and confess that. I'm going to leave a lot of room here, and I'm going to let you take care of that. Amen. Anybody ever prayed that prayer? Are you all catching? I'll move over right here. We'll try this again. Are you catching what I'm putting down? Sometimes, Dean, I don't know what it is. It worked all morning long. We walked everywhere. All right. Sometimes I just have this feeling of it's my responsibility to show the wrath of God to this person to correct them in their life. And God says, no, that's not yours to do. And then there are times that I go, 
You know what? I've actually said this phrase, and I'm not telling you that this is something you should do. I'm not. I'm just confessing my sin to you in front of everybody. Sometimes I've looked at people and said, I'm sorry that you're going to have to deal with God instead of me because I, if he's half as mad as I am over this, you're in trouble. And, and that's honestly what God is telling us to do is take our anger, take our frustration and give it to the Lord and let him deal with it. Now, here's what I've also found out. I step back and I go, and God's going to take care of them. And he does. And he deals with them the way he dealt with me. With mercy and with love and with patience and with kindness and with humility. And then it's amazing what happens when you let go of your anger and you let someone else just deal with the Lord and, and watch how God begins to deal with them and change your heart. It says right here, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Honestly, what this is saying is God's going, you know, all the things that upset you may or may not upset me. This is mine to deal with, not yours. Your responsibility as a believer, love them. Just love them. You see, that's why I come back to the ultimate goal as a peacemaker is to help others find peace with God. And if we're so focused on just them having to have peace with me, we are missing the opportunity we have to point them in a place where they can have peace with God at times. If we're so focused on just we have to be comfortable and we have to be right and this situation has to go our way, then sometimes we're missing an opportunity to just love on people and point them to the Lord where they can find ultimate peace. Sometimes we give up our comfort for the sake of helping others find peace with God. Sometimes we lay down our preferences for the sake of helping others have peace with God. Sometimes a savior leaves the throne in heaven and dies a cruel death on a cross so that people can have peace with God. That's the example that is set. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. And look at this. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Are you getting this? God's saying he did this as an example for us and he gives us the ability to do this for others. Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. God is making his appeal to be at peace for all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. He's making that appeal through us. We get to be his ambassadors. We plead on Christ's behalf to others, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That, my friends, is a peacemaker. That's a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Because when we know the peace that has been given to us by God, then we 
live our, set, our lives in such a way that we want nothing more for someone else, for them to be at peace with God, that we're willing to do anything that we can, even if it makes us uncomfortable, so that they can have peace with God, that's a peacemaker. That's a peacemaker. That's someone who's learning that they are pursuing righteousness and therefore they are filled because God gives them everything that they need so that they can give it all away because it's all God's anyway. And anything that they can do to help someone come to know Christ, that is a peacemaker. Are you a peacemaker? That's the question. Will you bow your heads for just a moment?